Welcome to the Beyond the Box Roar podcast, brought to you in part by Fast Model Sports. In this episode, I interview Coach Stephen Asher. He's an assistant women's basketball coach at the University of Indiana, Purdue, Fort Wayne. Coach, how's it going? Doing great. How about you? Doing well. Coach, you want to give yourself a brief introduction to our listeners? Sure. Uh, Steven Asher, uh, currently assistant coach at Purdue Fort Wayne with the women's basketball team here. Uh, been here for two years now, going on my third season. Um, been in coaching for about, uh, I think it's 10, 11 years now, something in there, some gray area in there. Um, but originally from the Maryland area and uh, loving this coaching journey and uh, excited to talk. Coach, before we get started, I really got to ask, you know, I've seen everyone's seen Hoosiers. What's the Indiana high school girls basketball scene like? It's pretty close to, you know, what you see. This is what people grow up doing. This is what they're passionate about. Uh, not just girls, boys, just kids. Their their parents grew up with the history of Indiana basketball. Uh, the Purdue-IU rivalry is insane. Um, but this is what, what people do. We got, you know. We've got great summers here, but the the fall is a little short. The spring's a little short, so the winters are long, and uh, nothing better to do than than hooping out here. But there's a lot of passionate, you know, people. There's a lot of great coaches, a lot of great former players that give back and care for their former programs. It's it's a pretty fun environment to be in. We're right down the street from Spies, which uh, is being converted to a pickleball uh, arena, but has a ton of history there and. Uh, most people that have grown up playing AAU ball have played there at some point. It's about five minutes down the road. So it's been cool to be a part of and, and learn a lot about. Awesome. Shifting gears. Talk about growing up in Maryland. Yeah. Um, grew up in Columbia, Maryland. Uh, both my parents are are from Maryland. My, my parents are, my mom's a little bit well-traveled um, growing up, but I uh, spent my entire childhood uh, in the Columbia area, a little bit in Montgomery County um, as well, but uh, most of it in Columbia. Uh, had a good upbringing, you know, was very fortunate. Parents worked hard. Uh, you know, dad had his own business. My mom uh, was a physical therapist, were very active, and neither of them played hoops really competitively uh, at all. But for whatever reason, you know, I got the bug and we had the the hoop in the driveway. And that was what I was doing, you know, day in, day out at nighttime through the rain and, you know, carried that into AAU and travel and um, spent a lot of my time uh, playing basketball, but spent plenty of time, you know, in other sports, soccer and, and baseball and just picking up anything that was competitive really. Um, but through all that process, basketball has always been the bug. It's always been, uh, where a lot of my friends, you know, have centered around where a lot of my social time has been spent is playing pickup ball uh, up at the Columbia gym uh, with, for those that are around the area on the weekend mornings, um, you know, uh, loved every bit of my childhood and really helped spur on the love that I still have for this game. As a junior in high school, you're a member of the 2007 Maryland 3A state championship basketball team. Talk about that season. And do you ever wear that championship ring? Do I wear it? No, not at all. It's sitting collecting some dust somewhere in my house, but uh, very proud of that. Uh, that team that was incredible to be a part of. Uh, Matt Graves was our head coach there. My freshman year of high school was his first year as head coach of the varsity team. I played two years of JV ball. Um, I was just pumped to make the team as a junior year. I was a little guy. I had just hit a growth spurt and shot up to five, seven by my junior year, uh, maybe a, a buck 20 uh, soaking wet there, but uh, had passion for this game. We had an incredible team. Tommy Breton was our leader, went on to have an incredible career at Stony Brook and was national defensive player of the year. He was our no doubt best player. Uh, on our team and had a very successful professional career. Uh, Michael Campanero started as point guard over me, and uh, he went on to have a career in the NFL. And after playing football uh, at Wake Forest and setting all-time, I think, catches uh, record there, just some incredible athletes. A couple guys go on to play other 
college sports. We had a professional lacrosse player on our team, Daniel Hostetler on that team. We just had a bunch of people that bought into roles. We had uh, kind of a superstar at the time and Tommy Breton and the rest of us, uh, you know, played our roles and, you know, did what was asked of us day in, day out. But very proud of that team. Uh, didn't play a whole lot in that state championship game, not going to lie, but uh, felt the the pride in that just you know, trying to make the the starters better uh, every day in practice, and uh, could not be more proud of that to kind of kick off a a pretty successful basketball career playing and, and now coaching. Love it. You know, you attended JMU and were part of a legendary JMU club basketball team. Anyone on the East Coast who's played a club basketball in college knows you guys really are a blue blood. Who were some of the guys you played with, and how many of those guys? could have played at the college level. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. Definitely uh, a legendary crew. Some of the most fun I had, I, I had wanted to play college basketball um, at the, you know, and had some division three, you know, assistant coaches reaching out to me. I don't know if my name ever made it to a head coach, but I had a couple of assistant coaches talking to me at the time and went and visited a couple of places and just was not in love with the small school atmosphere personally for what I wanted to do. I had aspirations of trying out for the JMU team and trying to walk on and uh, never accomplished that goal. But I had a great time playing with the club team. Um, great friends, great memories helped. You know, we ran it, we coached it, we played for it. We socialized with it still some of my best friends to this day. Uh, but the talent was way better than I expected. I expected as a freshman to walk in there and be a star. And we had, I think every one of our players on that team, either played division three, played division two. There was like three or four guys that had been on our team there at JMU, the on scholarship or walk-ons that just, you know, didn't want the time commitment, got hurt, just wanted a little bit more social atmosphere. We had a very talented team. Um, you know, it was led by uh, Jake Rupert, who's still a good friend to this day of mine, who uh, was coaching and a president, uh, as we called it, of that team. Um Luke Atwood is still a good friend of mine. He took it over after Jake graduated and Todd Chrissy, you know, some of my best friends to this day. Um, but we had some incredible players, uh, Ricky uh, Lane Jasper, a good friend of mine. He played at Longwood and transferred into us. Um, Christian Pierce, he was, on, he played with us for a year or two and then ended up playing for the, the scholarship team. I think he was a walk on and ended up getting some playing time. His older brother was on the team as a scholarship as well. And we had a talented roster. I didn't know what I was all getting to when I started that thing, but uh, would not change a thing about my past, you know, uh, going back to that. I know Jake. And uh, I think he was there for like something like six years, definitely ran out of eligibility at some point, but does anyone run a flex offense as good as Jake Rupert? Oh, that's the best. He still he still does it in his men's leagues to this day. <laughs> you know, after graduating in 2012, you accepted a GA position at Maryland under Coach Mark Turgeon. What connection, if any, did you have to the Terps coaching staff? Uh, I had none. Uh, I had none. I got very lucky um, when I was looking to grad or getting ready to graduate from James Madison. I needed an internship. I was an exercise science major and needed some internship hours in order to complete my degree. And really, yeah, I was thinking about getting into physical therapy at the time. I was thinking about getting into prosthetics. I had an internship doing that at one point, but always loved basketball. That's always been the passion. You know, the other things were really awesome and things that, you know, I still care about and would like, you know, give back to and everything, but basketball was the bug. And when I was looking for internships, I was honestly striking out left and right, reaching out to places. And just out of the blue one day, I just tried uh, emailing Kyle Tarp, who was the director of basketball performance at the time. He was overseeing both men's and women's um, director of performance, which was their strength, their term for strength and conditioning. Um, but he did so much more than that nutrition, emailed him out of the blue, let him know I was looking for an internship and he was looking for some free help. So he, you know, said, come on down for an interview. I skipped class on a Wednesday, drove from Harrisonburg to college park to interview with him. He said, you got it. Um, when I, uh, finished that spring semester of my senior year, um, my parents lived about a half hour from campus. I moved back home, 
and was making the drive down 95, sitting in traffic every day uh, to do the internship in the strength and conditioning department and ended up doing that for a year. It started out, it was supposed to be a, a two week long thing, um, only getting like 10 hours or something like that. I immediately got the bug uh, when I was there. I was I was supposed to be there two or three hours a day. I ended up you know, doing it from as early as I could get up in the morning to helping out Coach Atkins, who was with the women's team at the time, who's now in the NBA, with his workouts before everything was going on. I'd help with all the lifts. I'd be in both the men's and the women's practices watching. I'd be in the offices uh, helping out the coaches, just trying to get to know what they do because I never really thought I could get into college basketball as a coach. And immediately when I was in, I tried to take advantage of that opportunity and learn everything I could. I wanted to learn everybody's job. It was just the coolest thing in the world to me and um, wanted to dive in as all the way and, and see where it took me and ended up getting really close with a lot of the interns in the women's program and the, the managers and the practice players and some of the um, like video uh, guys that were, you know, on staff. I started getting in with the understanding the GA's role on the men's side got really close. Uh, Ryan Richmond was probably one of the closest um, people I was around at the time. He was a GA and I wanted to learn his job. I thought he had the coolest job in the world, helping out with the players, workouts. He was in scout meetings. He was helping with recruiting. He was all over the place and was so well-respected. And, you know, I admired the heck out of that and wanted that job. And so talked to him and got advice from him, got advice from a lot of the other coaches on both staffs. And they said, learn the job. You know, when somebody graduates, be around, be available, be someone that's relied upon, someone that's trustworthy, someone that knows all the ins and outs. So when they're looking for somebody, you already know all the ins and outs. It's you're the easy answer. And so I tried to make myself as available and as valuable as I could just showing up every day and asking what can I do to help while st still fulfilling my responsibilities uh, in the weight room with with Kyle Tarp who hired me and who brought me in there um, as an intern and through that when Ryan um, Richmond got the um, video coordinator position with the Washington Wizards the position was open I was around I let the coaches know this was something I wanted to pursue over the next couple of weeks they were I guess interviewing some other people my interview was showing up every day and ended up getting hired and got myself into grad school in about a week in the middle of uh, August, which uh, was the, probably the toughest part of the whole thing um, to get accepted into grad school within a week time and a week before the semester started. But I, I was just around and available and um, wanted to help and wanted to learn. Talk about how your role grew. You know, obviously, it was supposed to be a short-term internship. Like you said, it, it grew into something much more. Um, but in your your first year as a GA and then in that second year? Yeah, I had a lot of different responsibilities within those years. Some responsibilities I created for myself to help bring value in different areas. Um, but that first, those two years, we had a lot of, we had some staff turnover at the time. Uh, when I first got there, uh, we didn't have a video coordinator position. Our video coordinator, Matt Brower, uh, he left for another job. And so someone had to do the video job. So I was I had spent that last year learning all the ins and outs of sports code and synergy and some Photoshop stuff and all the technology I could for a moment like, the, like that, that I didn't expect to come, but wanted to be ready for if it did. And so that first year, I spent a lot of time doing a lot of the video work, helping oversee the video coordinator position. I think it was about a year before we hired somebody um, in that spot. So I was relied upon for doing the video side of things, overseeing the managers and helping make sure everything was getting filmed and delivered to Coach Turgeon and cut up and prepared for scouting reports. Um, so through doing that kind of um found myself as someone that was uh, the coaches found myself as someone that was reliable and I got additional responsibilities. I was helping out with scouting reports. I was helping out with recruiting visits. I was helping um, just day-to-day -day office. And um, then it started into some travel planning because our Dobo, 
ended up, um, Dustin Clark ended up getting hired as the assistant coach. And, um, so we needed someone to help with all the travel planning. And I had no idea what I was doing. I was just learning and listening and asking questions and, um, picking the brain of Libby Ellis, who was on the women's staff and how some of they did some of the travel stuff so that we could be prepared when coach Turgeon asked, where's the itinerary for the upcoming trip? Uh, coach Clark helped me tremendously, you know, guide me in the right direction to make sure all that stuff was getting done. Um, so I was just kind of picking up the pieces as, you know, our staff was changing as, you know, things were needed around and tried to be an expert in whatever responsibility was needed at the time. So in that first year, which was our last year in the ACC, I got to have a big part in the travel planning for our team, for our donors, for our private jets. And a year before I was playing club basketball, you know, driving a 15 passenger van, you know, down the road to Radford, you know, with my friends and, um, you know, but I relied on good people uh, to help me through that stuff. And, you know, I listened well and took notes and made sure I had a process ready and prepared for each one of those steps so that nothing would get dropped uh, in that process because of the responsibility at play. Uh, and then year two, we ended up hiring a video coordinator, uh, John Trock at the time, um, and Nemo Omidvar came in as our uh, director of operations. And so I got to have a lot more of a GA role, uh, a typical GA role in that second year because we had you know people that were experienced in those jobs. I still did a lot of video stuff helping out with John Trock. Um, Nima took over a lot of those director of operations responsibilities, but the amount of knowledge that I learned from him in that one year of recruiting and just overseeing a program as a whole, um, he did so much in the office just to make sure our day-to-day -day was good and we were prepared. And, you know, after learning what those jobs entail and then year two having experts with me and, you know, overseeing those things, you know, we were a, a well-oiled machine with multiple people that understood the multiple responsibilities. Our GA staff grew that second year at all, all the office and, um, you know, day-to-day -day responsibilities just took off. I, I felt in, in the, that year two there. You mentioned earlier, coach David Atkins, you helped him. What separated him from other skill and development coaches at the time? He's the best. Uh, he, he is the best. Uh, he's a teacher. And he. I think what separates him is he, he doesn't think of himself as anything but a teacher of this game, of life, of professionalism, of being a great athlete and taking care of your responsibilities and your body. I mean, he he looked after us interns. You know, he was getting help from us to rebound, to play defense in the workout settings, bringing former players that he, you know, used to coach. Uh, you know, the amount of players in that DMV area is just insane. Um, and he was connected to all of them from Kevin Durant, D Grievous Vasquez, to Victor Oladipo coming back, um, working out. And his attention to detail, his connection from drills to live play, live play to drills, making things like understood for people that it's going to help them. But then he just connect things to life and professionalism. He coached us uh, interns and GAs and volunteers just as hard, if not harder than the players that he was training out there on an individual basis. And he cared for their success as people, as players. He cared for us as you know, his interns helping him out as people, players. And I mean, half the days we were in there, the the workouts would stop physical play and turn into some sort of a, a life lesson on making sure we're prepared on um, what love means in this, you know, in the game of basketball and how his, one of his favorite lines is, you know, love is spelled T-I-M-E um, and how you treat your family, how you treat your, your coworkers, how you treat your teammates, how you treat your, your job and just the, the care, the attention that he put into the smallest things, you know, of hand position in ball pounds and how he would actually relate that into live play 
and something that could actually help somebody. It, it just, I've never been around something like that before. I still have never been around someone that teaches like he does. And uh, I'm just so grateful for him as a mentor, as a friend, as someone that I can pick up and call any day just to ask how he's doing or just to pick some advice on. I mean, he's been around every walk of life, uh, you know, in this game, every level. And uh, that's part, another connect, you know, thing that he has is that experience. And uh, he's seen it all from JV ball to the highest level now uh, of our sport and able to connect with anybody uh, in that and help them feel valued and help them get better in whatever they're doing in their life. While in Maryland, the Terps advanced to the semifinals of the Big Ten tournament, the round of 32 in the NCAA tournament. Talk about life in the Big Ten and being one of the few teams on the East Coast. Yeah, I don't know if I would say that Big Ten, that first year basketball-wise, I don't know if I would say if it was any tougher than that year in the ACC. The, the toughest part was it was new. Uh, the hotels were new. The travel was new. The coaching was new. The X's and O's were new. The personnel was new. Um, the 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 sound, the the level of uh, cheering and uh, smack talking it by the fans in the gyms were new. I mean, walking into Indiana, we're out there two hours before you know the game starts, and and we're going through warm ups, and every student seat is standing, is jumping, is screaming is hating on us, is making fun of every one of us, um, you know, playing at Duke prepared for that a little bit. But uh, a lot of those Big Ten atmospheres were, were just as volatile. And uh, that was, I think, for us, the biggest thing that was difficult was everything was new uh, in that year. Um, new coaches, just new scouting reports, new ways that they were going to be looking at us. They were trying to figure us out, too. Uh, but we were the you know, the only new ones that year. So I think the, 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 the freshness, the, the unfamiliarity with, with everything was the, the, the biggest challenge for us, I believe, as a staff. Following your Senate College Park, you accepted an assistant coaching position at Lycoming College. As somebody who played club basketball, I'm interested to hear your comparison between D3 hoops and club basketball. Yeah, and that was one of the best experiences. I mean, every experience I've had, I've taken so much from, but um, Guy Rancourt uh, was the head coach there at Lycoming um, at the time. And again, another guy to this day that is a friend, is a mentor, uh, someone I can pick up the phone and just call any day, whether I'm having trouble with uh, a scouting report, some X's and O's or, you know, life for, uh, you know, how to be a dad, uh, how to cook a pizza. Uh, he is one of those just strong mentors in my life. Um, as far as the level of competition, uh, I really believe I, I, I love our team there at Lycoming. I love those guys to death. Uh, I really believe our teams at, at JMU with the club team, um, not every year, but we had a very good team at Lycoming, but I think we would have been very competitive uh, at the D3 level if that was team was uh, taken into that. You know, we just had a lot of talent at JMU, but um, but but com compared but to other schools that you played against, well, it, it was it was pretty comparable. The thing that I would say was the biggest difference um, in terms of 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 basketball was the level of of work uh, that the student athletes put in and the dedication to their craft and their sport. Um, there were plenty of hard workers with JMU club basketball and some of the competition that we played. Um, but there's the other half were just there socially at the D three level, everybody that we played against, everybody that was on our team, they're given everything they had to this, the, the amount of work they put into their bodies, the time commitment, the extra work that they were getting, um, you know, the competition we played against the competition, the talent that we had, um, very similar, very similar to that of of the club basketball level. I think it was just the the passion, the time, the work outside of the game was at a whole nother level at Division Three. Yeah, I had to specify because, uh, like I said, you guys, you guys had elite talent at JMU every year. So uh, I, I always say you guys are a, 
a different echelon and a different level than uh, most club teams. Yeah, we had some fun. And a lot of those guys still play to this day, which is amazing to see some of those. But, you know, a lot of those guys, you know, some of those guys played Division Three ball. Some of those guys played, again, Division Two ball and, you know, were, were probably recruited by a Lycoming or uh, a Bridgewater or a Randolph-Macon and chose the big school experience or wanted to walk on at a Longwood, at a JMU, um, something like that. So I think that was – for me, great preparation playing because when I got to Lycoming, making sure I was prepared to play against our players there at Lycoming every day, I felt very comfortable. Gotcha. You know, much like your time at Maryland, you helped them win a conference championship in 2016, advanced to the NCAA tournament. And, and you know, I'm curious, how did it feel to win the auto bid, unlike having the luxury of an at-large at a school like a Maryland? Well, in the MAC at the time, it was you had to get an auto bid to make it to the NCAA tournament. So uh, we had a phenomenal year that year. We started incredibly strong. We felt like we were top one, two, or three talented team in the league. We had an incredible string of illnesses starting in January that year, where some of our best players we had two, three, four people out at a you know every game for two months, and we took a big slide. Uh, in the standings, but we we knew if we were healthy, we would have a great team. We made a great run in the conference tournament. Uh, we won at Arcadia. I remember still, you know, playing at Indiana, playing at Duke, playing at Arcadia in the championship of the MAC Commonwealth tournament. One of the most volatile um, atmospheres that I've been around. Those students were on the court. You could feel the floor shaking as they were jumping up and down. Um, and to go into their house and beat them in the championship. Uh, one of the jo most joyous uh, wins, uh, accomplishments that I've been a part of in my career to see the joy on our guys' faces jumping around when TJ Duckett threw the ball in the air right in front of their crowd. I was uh, just ecstatic. And something about that, that winning that championship to make it on to the, the national tournament, uh, that just – I don't know if it felt more sweet than helping Maryland get to the NCAA tournament for the first time. And I think it was 10 years at the time, but it was right up there and pretty, pretty equal in, in my heart. And, and as far as memories go. Rob Perrin hired you to be an assistant coach on his staff at Catawba uh, following your time at LC. What was it like working for coach P and what duties did you have at Catawba? Uh, duties was everything. Uh, Coach Parent hired me and told me, I'm hiring you so you can learn everything, but you're going to do everything here. And I didn't realize that he literally meant that uh, at the time or what that would entail. But going through four years of Division II ball um, from my first year there where I was the only assistant coach, uh, we had one volunteer guy. So it was Coach Parent, myself. Uh, and Alex Moe at the time, um, who just got engaged, uh, very happy for for Coach Moe. Um, but working for Coach Perrin uh, is one of the most fun experiences I've had, uh, period. Not just in work, but just in life, that he is uh, one of the ultimate connectors of people. He can relate and connect to anybody, any walk of life, you know, the the dishwasher at one of the you know, restaurants in, in Salisbury or the president of our school, he could get them laughing in five minutes. Uh, one of the best people, most empathetic, give you the shirt off his back type guys. Um, I, I've not worked for a better human being, you know, than Rob Perrin in my time. Um, just talked to him two days ago, gave me some good advice on jumping on the podcast here today. Um, but one of the best people just phenomenal at helping and connecting basketball to life um every day was you know one was having some fun and reminding everybody that yes this is competitive yes this is uh, a difficult process but man did we have fun when he's jokingly wrestling with our guys on the sideline um when he's pulling out magic tricks and card tricks to campers to you know, in front of, you know, 200 kids and getting everybody laughing, cracking up. 
to helping someone whose mom or dad just passed away or helping a student with an internship or a letter of recommendation that had no tie to our program, but uh, maybe participated, you know, well in his class, he cares to see others do well. And that is his joy in life and his passion for his work. And to try to take and replicate that even 1% on a day-to-day basis, I think helped me be a better person. Um, But as far as responsibilities go, again, my job was to come in and help get things organized. I had a good predecessor there with Ben Veshi, who taught me a lot of things about that role, who is now running the Hargrave Military Academy program and is doing some great things as again, one of the most genuine people, um, you know, in coaching. Um, But from the operations, from the logistics of planning out travel, uh, budgeting, planning for camps, running camps, marketing for camps, um, player development, scouting reports, helping run and plan part of practice, every part of recruiting, um, working with all the different people on campus that are required to operate a basketball program from compliance to admissions, to IT, to the international admissions department. Um, We had our hand in everything. Um, And one thing I still take, it just was a small thing, but I think went a long way is coach Perrin always told, talked about and gave advice. He's told us if you never need anything from anybody on campus, do not pick up the phone go see them, go attach a name to a face, go meet them, go ask them how their day is going, go bring them a box of chocolates, go meet people, go make sure they know who you are. You'll be amazed at what you can get in life when you build those relationships. You're amazed who cares about this program, who turns around to help you when you just stop by, ask somebody how they're doing before you need something, before you have to ask something. And that to this day, I've tried to take to every one of my jobs that I've had since then. Um, and I think goes a, a really long way in um, the, the culture of your program. You guys advanced to the NCAA tournament in 2019 and 2020, winning the SAC in 2020. What was the SAC like during your time in Salisbury? Competitive, man. Um Walking into Division Two, having never seen a Division Two game in my life uh, at Lycoming, we played one Division Two team and we beat them, um, and that was my impression of Division Two. And then walking in and watching film and seeing the Lincoln Memorials and seeing the Queens and seeing the talent on some of these rosters of Carson Newman, of Anderson, I was I was blown away. Uh, I believe um, there were some players in in that league that could have started or at least been major contributors for our team uh, at Maryland. Uh, I really believe that Emmanuel Terry was on the, on the roster there at, at Lycoming, or excuse me, at uh, Lincoln Memorial. He was their starting five. Um, after coming off the bench the year before I got there, he was coming off the bench the year. I got there. He was starting at the five. He ends up getting, you know, graduating, making it to the G league, playing with the Denver Nuggets he played some USA basketball stuff. I thought he was better than some of our bigs at Maryland that we had. And to walk in and see that and having to recruit against that, it made us better uh, tremendously. It helped, you know, strategize our recruiting plan um, a little bit to know who we're up against. Um, but some of the players, man, were just still some of the most elite athletes or skill players that I have ever been around. Um, the, the, the league was there was a couple of teams in our league that were just incredible, you know, national powerhouses. And that was our goal. Our goal wasn't to beat some of the teams that were just getting by our teams were to beat the best. And that went into every one of our decisions every day. From Catawba, you moved on to Rice university on the women's basketball side. Yeah. I'm curious how difficult was that decision? And can you tell the listeners how you got connected with their staff? Absolutely. Uh, that was all going on right in the heart of uh, COVID shutdown and was definitely a, a very tough decision, but there was a lot of things too that made that uh, an easy decision. So um, Tina Langley was the head coach at Rice uh, on the women's side um, back uh, 
when I was uh, interning at Maryland, she was on the women's staff there and was a part of their staff that helped lead them to the, you know, back-to-back final fours there and um, coaching some incredible players, you know, very fortunate to be there and got to know her well um, at the time, you know, was helping her in some workouts and through practices. I was jumping in as a practice player my intern year and, you know, I'd stick around after practice when she would, you know, try to grab one of the girls to work on a drill and I'd be out there playing defense or I'd be out there helping and got to know her a little bit through there. Um, but well, I, I was really close with was uh, Winston Gandy. He was, um, I don't remember his exact title for the women's program back when I was interning at Maryland, but he was on, he was on staff as, you know, director of player development or something like that at Maryland, uh, but got to know him well. He was very close with coach Atkins and always a part of our, you know, morning workout sessions, our little breakfast club that we had um, and stayed in touch with um, with Winston. And Winston was at Rice at the time as one of Tina's assistants. And at the time he was um, he had got accepted the job at Duke uh, as their assistant coach there and helping to fill a spot late in the summer when school was getting ready to start up. Uh, Tina really wanted someone that she was familiar with that had uh, a similar background, someone, you know, an, another male on her staff, um, someone with some player development background. And, you know, Winston and I were, were connected. He called me um, one day out, kind of out of the blue, really, um, and let me know what was going on. Um, Ryan Richmond was helping out with, you know, Tina Langley a little bit at the time. And through, you know, those guys, you know, they recommended me to Tina. Tina remembered me from that time. Um, and knew I would be familiar with a lot of her beliefs and ways she liked doing things. Um, and it just, it, it, it made a lot of sense for her to, to bring, you know, me on. And at the time, um, my goal in coaching from when I first got my first job was I just wanted every year to get a little bit better than the next year. And what that means is a little bit up in the air. Sometimes in coaching, you don't have control of that. Sometimes it could mean, you know, maybe financially, sometimes it, maybe it's a level, sometimes it's a skill, sometimes it's um, a relationship or recruiting or something like that. And I wanted to learn, I wanted to grow in coaching. You know, I had tremendous respect for, you know, Coach Langley from the Maryland time and then also seeing what she was building there at Rice and the the monster that she had created there and the machine that was rolling um, and I wanted to learn. I thought that would be a great opportunity to learn, to grow. I felt like I could help contribute um, with some of my background and kind of the, the the understanding of the big school background being with my time at Maryland, but also the the attention and the the go-getterness of being in a small school and um, at, at Catawba and through my time at Lycoming. And you know, there, there was a little bit of a hesitancy, but more of the hesitancy to take the job was travel all the way across the country in the middle of COVID. It was, had nothing to do with the actual job or responsibilities or, you know, women's program. Cause I had been working with the women's, my dad, he coached AAU ball on the women's side, uh, my whole life. So I was always around it. And I, you know, some people don't, you know, in the guys game, don't want to be a part of the women's game. And I think that's, a huge loss and a big detriment to what you can learn because there's tremendous coaches, maybe better uh, in some ways um, coaches, at, you know, on this women's side than men's side, you know, the game is played a little bit differently, but at the root of it all, it's, it's basketball, it's coaching, teaching, leading people, helping young now females, but young, you know, kids go from kids to adults in their life. And I thought it'd be a phenomenal opportunity to grow. And uh, I was right. It was a phenomenal opportunity to grow. It was an amazing year to learn, you know, all that went into that program. You know, when I got there, it had art, the machine was rolling, as I call it, everything, you know, the, the culture was in place, the X's and O's were in place. You know, it was my job to come in and keep turning the wheels, keep making sure her things were working well and I just learned so much about programs, uh, how it's done at the, the most elite level um, at that time. And I am so grateful for my my year there working with Coach Langley at Rice.
you know, your first and only season in Houston, the Lady Owls won the WNIT, uh, finished 23 and four, including a 12 and two conference USA record. At what point, I know you said that, you know, it was a well-oiled machine, but at what point did the staff know those players really had a chance to be special that season? Well, the the prior two years, they were, they had phenomenal seasons as well. And, uh, you know, when I got there and just kind of learning about the, the team, I knew that uh, we had, were losing uh, a big player in Erica Ogumake, uh, who was just insane in the the numbers, the production that she had. And, and that was the only major loss to that roster in, in terms of talent, playing time and scoring. But Nancy Mulkey was back. The rest of the starting lineup was back. We had some good younger players that had done well the year before. Uh, we had, you know, a good freshman that year. We had a lot of talented you know, versatile, dynamic players. And I think it was expected um, at that time, just with what they had already done, who was back remaining, the maturity of that group, not just good players, but like workers, people that cared, people that were respectful, people that prepared physically, prepared their skill, prepared mentally, you know, for these games. Uh, The expectation was how great we can be, not so much, uh, thinking about the year before, not so much, is this going to be a good year? It's how great, how how far can we take this group? How connected can we be on an everyday basis? How can we stay true to our values in hard moments? And that was that was the expectation. The first phone call I had with, with Coach Langley from the very first workout, I mean, the respect that those girls showed for each other, the respect that they had for coaches, uh, was one of the highest levels I've been around. And I think when you take care of all those little things around the game, uh, the the famous Bill Walsh book, the, the score takes care of itself. And um, the, I, I believe that to my core um, because I've lived it uh, being around that, you know, at least that program as well as some others. You know, and that uh... – WNIT championship run, you guys defeated Arizona State, Fresno State, California Baptist, Delaware, Ole Miss. What's the preparation and scouting like for a tournament run like that? Well, we had a good staff. Um, how we would, how we planned that whole thing was um, one, we had very quality assistant coaches around that were very, uh, well-versed in this game. We had a great uh, sort of template for how we went about each of our scouting reports, things that needed to be covered. It changed a little bit here and there for each game, but um, going in, um, we knew who we'd play in the first round. Um, So that scouting report was assigned to one of the three of us assistant coaches. Um, Meanwhile, the other two assistant coaches were scouting the two potential teams that we could play. And so each of us were responsible for one game and then the next two were getting ready for whoever was next. Um, as we found out those opponents, you know, leading up to that game, we would always make sure each one of us knew the the scout for the upcoming game that we were playing in and out, even if it wasn't our scout as assistant coaches. But at the same time, Coach Langley's mind is one of the sharpest in this game, period. And her preparation um, in leading up to these games and recall for plays and understanding what strategies to take advantage of and what type of personnel to look at and what strategies to counter other team strengths, how to exploit weaknesses, how to know our team really well. Her attention to oversee each one of us assistant coaches scouting um, was just was one of a kind and is a big reason uh, she she's just a brilliant person and is creative and is able to, again, find weaknesses and counter strengths. And we had personnel to do that, but she wasn't afraid to adjust game to game within the the constructs of of what we do. We knew what we did well, and were that helped us be flexible to adapt game to game, whether it was pack it in the paint a little bit more or pressure a little bit more, or we want to throw the ball inside more versus score outside. You got to have the personnel to do that, but you also have to have the, the, the bravery to adjust game to game, especially if you have a player like Nancy Mulkey, who's just a six, nine polarizing 
player of the year, every year candidate post. And when your strength might be perimeter in a game, it takes a little bit of bravery, a little courage to go away from uh, your player of the year type player and go to another strength that might be out there. You know, so after the season, your head coach ended up going to Washington State. You ended up going to uh, Purdue Fort Wayne. What played into that decision for you? That was a, uh, a tricky time for everybody. Um, one of my things in, since I got into coaching was I wanted to coach. And I talked to Coach uh, Langley when she was heading out to Washington um, about staff positions. She was trying to figure out what she'd have. It would all kind of happen in fast. She didn't know what kind of support staff she had. She wanted her assistant coaches to have uh, a little bit more experience going into the Pac-12, a little bit West Coast experience, women's basketball recruiting experience, uh, or, you know, just experience in the game longer. And I didn't have that. And I understand that. And I can't, you know, I couldn't change that uh, right away. And, you know, so I had talked to her about some support staff positions like video and operations. And um, and I was honest with her. And, and I my goal and my passion why I was doing this was to coach. And uh, I had done a little bit of the video stuff in the past through the Maryland days and through Kataba Lycoming days. I had done some of the operation stuff with those jobs. And I, I had feel like I worked myself into a position where I could find you know, coaching jobs. And that's where I wanted to stick in. And that was the reason for not heading out there to Washington with her. Okay. Gotcha. The Mastodons had a tremendous turnaround during your first season at IPFW. What was the makeup of the roster and what styles of play did the teams in the Horizon League play? Well, makeup of the roster. When we got here, uh, the team had won one game uh, the year before we got here. Um, they hadn't really had a whole lot of success on the court, you know, in the, in the years prior. So um, when we got here, one, we tried to, we wanted to figure out what we had, who was, who was sticking around from um, the players that we were inheriting, who was wanting to transfer. Uh, I thought was a really cool sign um, when they hired coach Marcusano here she met with the players. She had all her press conferences. There were a couple girls that decided to transfer before they hired Coach Marcosano, but the ones that were here, when they heard of Coach's vision, you know, who she is, what she's about, not one of them decided to leave. And in this world of Transfer Portal, I thought that was a cool sign of belief in her and, you know, one passion for this program and wanting to turn this around, um, but belief in who she was and where she was you know, going with this program. So that was our first thing in figuring out what, 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 what do we have? What type of talent, you know, none of us had coached any of these girls before. None of these girls had seen more than one win uh, in a college basketball season. So we needed to figure out, you know, where we had value, where we needed to grow. And, you know, that first, the first year we were here was, was rough. You know, it was, we, we definitely took steps forward um, we didn't expect to have a tremendous wins type season, um, especially coming off a one-year program with a pretty young roster at the time, uh, a large freshman class that was coming in. Um, and really not, all, we didn't have a whole lot of time or available roster spots to bring in a whole new set of players. So we kind of had to work with what we had. Um, and, you know, there was a lot of growth needed, uh, a lot of player development, but that was one of Coach Marcusano's first things that she talked about. She said, you know, in year one, I, I don't care what happens with wins, losses. We're building a culture. We'll be, we're going to build something here that's going to sustain, that's going to grow over time. It's not just going to be about what happens in first game, what happens in first year, what happens in second year. This is something that we want to grow and last for a long time and be a top-notch program every year going forward. And so we spent time loving the gym with these girls. We had a couple of girls that we inherited. They had part-time jobs. They were working at restaurants while they were division one basketball players. There wasn't a whole lot of girls spending time in the gym and they didn't like spending the gym time in the gym. They, they won one game and they weren't happy and they're, you know, coming out of COVID, it was a rough time mentally for everybody. So we wanted to love being in the gym. So we, just spent time. It goes back to that coach Atkins saying love is spelled T I M E and coach wanted to love our players, 
regardless of talent that we had, because we wanted to make an environment that was fun to get better. That was exciting to be in the gym that girls wanted to bring their teammates in here to help each other grow. And that investment into that time, which was a lot of early mornings and late nights and stuff like that, I, I think has really helped these la- the the next year. It's, it's helped our current group because we still have a large amount of those same players and, the girls that we have now, the culture that we have is built by, you know, our best players right now are some of those girls that were on that team that won one game. And, you know, I, I think we have a good recipe. Hopefully we'll have a little better year than last year, but we finished strong in our season last year. Um, and I think in large part, cause our girls fell in love with the work that it takes to be successful. Um, so long answer to kind of what we were getting into um, and then style of play, you know, Coach Marcusano had a belief in what would be successful at this level. Um, we didn't know all the ins and outs of what we were getting into with style of play in the Horizon League, and it varies team to team. There's a lot of diversity in offenses that teams run in structure versus uh, player-led decision-making. Um, there's different – there's a, a variety of deep teams that play all zone, teams that press a lot, teams that run and jump, teams that play man. There's a uh, a heck of a diversity. So I think you have to have a really balanced roster um, and solutions to a lot of challenges that you're going to incur on the court. Um, I think our offense um, and what Coach Marcasano believes in is a sort of a hybrid of Princeton um, and dribble drive offensively and aggression – and pressure defensive. We don't, we don't press a whole lot, um, but we have a whole defensive playbook that we try to throw at teams to keep teams off balance. So teams don't get comfortable and develop rhythms. Um, we kind of have a standard that we set for defense, regardless of what type of defense we play. It's more about who we are than the strategies that we're showing and um, throwing out there on the court. What are your ultimate coaching aspirations? Yeah, I don't know if it's going to lead me to, you know, I don't want to totally close the door and support staff for some of those people live some pretty good lives and pretty uh, high responsibility jobs. So I'm not closing the door on that, but that wasn't where I was wanting to be uh, at the time of the the Washington move. Um, ultimately, I, I'll be honest, I'm not sure, you know, where I want to be. I would love uh, to take my hand at head coaching one day, you you know, uh, at what level, you know, I'm not sure. Cause I've, I've been at the division three level. I've, I've helped coach high school teams. I've coached AAU ball. I've coached division two. I've coached division one at the highest level. I've coached mid major. I've coached low major. You know, I've, I've seen all these and I see a lot of, uh, value at these different places and I'm still learning. I'm still growing, trying to formulate my beliefs in this game, still trying to formulate my skills to where I can bring value to different programs, whether it be through recruiting, coaching, um, you know, office, uh, different aspects there. I think I would love to, I would love to be a head coach at some point one day and, and try my hand at that. My dad was, again, he was my inspiration in coaching. He was always, you know, the head coach growing up. Um, but I see a lot of value in what you can provide as a resource, the value you could bring to your student athletes as an assistant coach, the day in, day out, hands-on experience, or, you know, work that you do with the, you know, your players, you know, coach Atkins is a big mentor of mine. He, you know, I don't know if he ever had division, you know, head coaching aspirations, but he, he always said, you know, be where your feet are and, you know, where that takes you, you don't know around the corner, but make today great, make this workout great you know, help make your players feel loved, valued, supported, and things will take care of themselves, you know, wherever they be. And um, that's kind of how I've approached each one of these opportunities. Again, my goal has just been try to get each year a little better in coaching, in my life, uh, with my marriage, with my, uh, with my daughter now, um, with my role with the team. I, I just want each year to keep being a little bit better than the year before and how that manifests itself. I, I don't think I can predict that all the way. That's a great answer. You know, coach, that kind of goes into my next question. How are you able to balance being a husband and father while also being a D one assistant coach? 
have a great head coach um, that's understanding, I think, is the the ultimate um, piece in this. Uh, you know, that, that's a, it's a challenge every day. Um, I think learning to be efficient with my work processes, whether it be a scouting report, um, player development, make sure I'm planning my days very well, my weeks very well. Uh, you know, we have the Teamworks app. I have the Outlook calendar and my iCal. Man, they're all synced up. My wife is my calendar on there. Like I have... I live on the calendar app with all these things synced up just to make sure I'm planning, I'm being efficient. I'm blocking out time for my family every day. Cause that's incredibly important to me. And if I don't have that, I don't think I'm going to do be able to perform my job very well. Um, you know, I have a, I have a great understanding with, with coach Marcosano here. She, you know, believes in me and, you know, I don't go about my work like everybody else in our staff. And she's okay with that. Every, you know, we have staff that's in a lot of different places in their life right now and their processes for whatever, preparing for practice tomorrow, getting a film edit done, uh, getting recruiting calls is going to be a little bit different than mine because we're at different life stages and, you know, where I, I'm going to go home at, at, you know, from and be with my family from five to 8 PM. So I can, you know, be there for my daughter and, and help prepare her for dinner and put her to bed. But, you know, when I need to get things done, you know, eight to, to 11 PM, you know, I'm going to make a call, a couple calls in there. If I, you know, if people are still up at that time, I'm going to get my film, I'm going to get up early in the morning to get some of that stuff done. So uh, I think it's just planning. It's sacrificing a little bit, you know, trying to find, you know, sleep time in there. And um, you know, it's, it can be tough during the season uh, for sure, but I, I try to keep my time focused at what I'm trying to accomplish at that time. Things bleed over into each other. Um, but if I'm with my daughter, I, I'm, I'm with my family, doing my family time. You know, if I'm doing a scouting report, I'm locked into that scouting report. I'm not watching, you know, TV and, and balancing three or four different things. I'm getting that one thing done and planning, preparing uh, schedule to-do lists. Uh, on my, I'm, I live on the notes app. I live on the reminders app on my phone. Um, and the calendar just to make sure I'm, I'm preparing and organized in everything I'm doing. I'm glad I'm not alone in living on those apps. Oh, you got to, you got to. Coach, we've come to the start bench cut segment brought to you in part by fast model sports. I'm going to give you three things. You start one bench one and cut one. All right. Nike Adidas under armor. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I've never worked for a Nike school. Uh, are we talking shoes? Are we talking gear? Are we talking uh, athletes? Oh, well, let's go ahead and say shoes. Shoes. Start one, bench one, cut one. Uh, I'm, you know, I, I currently work in an Under Armour school, so I'm a little, you know, have to be a little loyal to there. Uh, but I think personally... I would start Nikes. I always, if I had a choice and was not uh, signed up to, you know, rock uh, Under Armour gear, you know, I, I love it. I love the stuff here. But uh, if I have the choice, I think there's a little more selection involved and available. But uh, I would start the Nikes. I would bench Adidas and I would cut uh, Under Armour. Though there are some Under Armours getting better. Um I, I've always been uh, a Nike fan of the shoes. You've made podcast history. The first coach to not go with the brand at the school. Yeah, I might at. get in trouble for that. M but I, I want to be you. honest. So, man, so <laughs> much respect because I know some coaches who've been on here and, and I'm just like, really? <laughs> yeah. If I was at Maryland still, my answer would be different. I bet. <laughs> uh, movies, hustle, semi-pro, he got game. I would start hustle. I would, Ooh, this is a tough one. I think I would bench. He got game and I would cut semi pro though. That's a tough decision. Very tough decision. Um, I'm going to go with that. I like it. Mascots, Terrapin, Al Duke. <laughs> oh. Uh, let's see in terms of, uh, fierceness or just love. Well, 
I'll start uh, Duke because that's my alma mater. Um, I spent four years at JMU and not as much time at the others. I'll I'll bench the Terp, uh, though I am an alma mater. I got my master's degree from Maryland. Both my parents went to Maryland. I grew up going to Maryland games. I spent more time personally at uh, at JMU, and I'll and I'll cut the I'll cut Sammy the Owl there. Okay, fair enough. Music, OAR, Dave Matthews Band, Pearl Jam. Oh wow, uh, my friends will make fun of me for this one, but I'll start uh, Dave Matthews. I'll bench OAR because the Maryland blood, and I'll I'll cut Pearl Jam. Uh, I I do like Pearl Jam. But my dad played it out a little bit growing up uh, in the house. So uh, I know if my buddies listen to this, the, the Dave Matthews, they'll, they'll give me some crap for that one. Last one. Twitter follows. Trilly Donovan, Samurai Hoops, coaching changes. Ooh. Uh, dark coaching changes for the entertainment value just as much as the information Bench Samurai, uh, bench Trilly Donovan, cut Samurai Hoops for entertainment purposes. Okay, respect that. Coach, who are three guests I should have on the podcast? Um, if you can, I would have, I would recommend David Atkins. Uh, I think he would be an incredible resource for the world of basketball. I think there needs to be a documentary made on that guy and his life lessons. Uh, he would be my number one. Um, I think coach Langley um, at, at Washington would be a phenomenal one to have. Um, you've already had one of my bosses, Rob Perrin on, I would suggest him just for entertainment value. Uh, I'll give you a three a and a three B just, I, I, I just have so much respect for these people. And obviously I'm biased because I work for them, but Maria Marcasano is just a brilliant basketball mind. Um, she has a great way of looking at this game of, of managing a program of overseeing staff. She's got an incredible background and story um, and guy Rancourt too, uh, who's now at Western Connecticut state. I mean, he is, he's seen success everywhere he's gone. He's got a great family. Um, he's, you know, He's got a great thing going. He's got a, a, a tour, uh, kind of an international basketball tour that he does every summer called USA. Um, US, what is it called? Uh, I'm blanking on the name of it right now. He's going to beat me up for that one. Um, but uh, USA, what is it called? I forget what the name of it. But he's got a cool perspective on this game of small college basketball. Um, he's got a very uh, unique way of looking at basketball and system that he runs and believes in. I think there's a lot of uh, coaching nuggets that could come from him, but also just uh, living coming up through this game. I mean, he's had a lot of assistants uh, come through a lot of young assistants uh, come through um, his staff and get moved on to bigger, you know, what people perceive as bigger, better jobs, more high paying, you know, uh, division one, division two, he's had a lot of staff turnover, um, that have elevated their careers or gone on to some, some bigger things. I think that would be a great resource for young coaches trying to get involved and trying to carve out their niche or, or path in this sport. Awesome. What advice would you give listeners who might be, considering going from the men's side to the women's side or from the women's side going to the men's side? Um, I think look at it as uh, basketball. Look at it as uh, learning opportunities. As, uh, with, with all these different jobs that I've had, one thing that's been really st stuck out to me and it has nothing to do with, with players at all, but is, you know, is how is your connection with that, boss that head coach you know do you see the things the same way you know do you relate to that person um i think that helps connectivity that helps you teach that helps you coach that helps you recruit if you believe in that person you work for if you have a great connection with that that person um i think anybody looking across from men's to women's or women's to men shouldn't look at it as you know changing genders it's it's the basketball opportunity it's the 
the the responsibilities opportunity, the the opportunity to learn, to grow, to you know, recruiting is recruiting, coaching is coaching. You know, girls have you know, there's there's no differences. Yes, there. I mean, there there's different things you can talk about with a female to a male, um, but people are people. You know, there's some of the females that I've coached have you know tremendous more passion you know for this game than some of the men that I coach you know that I've coached in the past you know some of the guys that I've coached in the past have been the best most coachable people that I've been around you know people always say you know females are more coachable than males are I I, I argue that because I think that's I think it's just people like you you just it's it's the individuals you're going to find some females that are not coachable you're going to find some males that are not coachable and I think if you're looking at opportunities, look at the responsibilities that you're going to be entrusted with. Look at the, um, the setup of the, the school itself. Is it a place that you can believe that you can recruit to? If it is a coaching position, is it a, a, a head coach that you believe in or that believes in you and, and you can bring value to that program? I, I, I having lived this, you you, sh- you shouldn't look at it as it's male versus female. You know, I didn't know the female market, the female uh, AAU world as well. But, you know, when I got to Maryland, I didn't know the men's side as well. I knew some of the AAU programs. I had lived it and been around it and played in it. But at the same time, I didn't know who the directors of the AAU programs were when I was at Lycoming for even that matter. I had to learn all that stuff, just like I've had to learn it on the women's side. I, I, I don't see, having lived it, I don't see differences in in that it's just your perception and and what you're trying to get out of this game if you're trying to help people dunk better right you probably have more opportunity to do that on the men's side than the women's side now there's a lot more females that are getting close uh to that stuff so um it's just it's what do you want to get out of this experience and what value do you can you bring to a program i think is more the the better way of looking at things than male, male or female Coach, I love that answer. That was phenomenal. If listeners want to get in touch with you, email, social media, what have you, what's the best way? Yeah, uh, email. Uh, I'm not a great DM checker uh, through social media. Um, I, I think Instagram would be the one I would check the most uh, when it comes to uh, DMs there. But I'm on Twitter. I try to be pretty active. Um, not overly active. I like to be, again, be where my feet are. I'm I guess caught in between the, the social media and the uh, non-social media generations a little bit, but I'm, I'm getting better at it, but uh, I'm pretty good with uh, my boss may argue, but I'm pretty good with checking my emails or gotten a lot better at it uh, now. So I'm, I'm, I've gotten a lot of help in this world. I've got, I'm not uh, above letting people know that I've been fortunate. I've been lucky. I've tried to listen well, but I am would not get here without receiving help. Uh, from a lot of people, from my parents, from my sisters, from my wife, from my wife's family, you know, my family now, you know, uh, I've gotten a tremendous amount of help. And if I can pay it forward and just help one person out, um, you know, I feel like I've I've got a lot of different experiences and a lot of different ways where I can uh, be a resource to people uh, should they desire my help. But uh, I'm so about um, trying to be a resource and, and returning text calls emails as best i can awesome coach i can't thank you enough for coming on the podcast man my pleasure thanks for having me thanks for listening to the beyond the box score podcast don't forget to subscribe leave reviews and rate five stars